James 5:17. It is always a joy to be at Judson Baptist Church. I love your church, your pastor, your music. Uh, I love you, in fact, and uh, I hope that today we will enjoy this uh, time together and God will challenge us from his word. Everyone on earth <clears throat> is born with a purpose. They must be born again in order to find that purpose. God has a design for you and a purpose for your life. He has something he wants to do for you and he wants to do through <clears throat> you. For that to happen, you must be available to God, intently interested in his work and in every way fervent about <clears throat> what he is doing in your life. You must give it all you have and hold nothing back. The title of the message today is <clears throat> Good to the Last <clears throat> Drop. <clears throat> you all know about that uh, saying, Maxwell House Coffee is named after the famous Maxwell House right here in Nashville. <clears throat> I assume Maxwell House is still a hotel. It's relocated. It's now no longer a hotel. Oh my God. You, you mean the relocated Maxwell House is no longer a hotel? Well, then this sermon's no good. <clears throat> there was a famous Maxwell House Hotel where Joel Cheek's uh, blend of coffee became the house coffee in 1892. On a visit to Nashville in 1907, President Teddy Roosevelt declared that Maxwell House coffee was good <clears throat> to the last drop. More than 100 years after President Roosevelt's declaration, this remains the slogan for Maxwell House coffee. Good <clears throat> to the last drop. I want to tell you about someone who learned how to get out of God's will for his life everything that he should get and make it good to the last drop. His name is Elijah, and the one verse for our text will not be the only verse in the sermon, but the text is James 5, verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three and <clears throat> years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Now, there's a few things to see here. First of all, Elijah was an ordinary guy. That's very important. Uh, we have the idea <clears throat> that Bible characters <clears throat> were superhuman. They were not. <clears throat> they were everyday people like you and me. They slept when they were tired, <clears throat> when they were hungry, they ate. Uh, they sweated when they were hot. They laughed when something was funny. They cried when they were sad. They were tempted, they were tested, they were angered, they were intimidated, they were embarrassed, they were in love. They had good days and they had bad days. They were just like us. Nothing else, <clears throat> just like us, again. Elijah was extraordinary, but he was a man just like us. What made him extraordinary? Well, to the verse again, Elijah was a man without a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on <clears throat> the earth. <clears throat> the word fervently is a word that's translated in the King James Version as earnestly. It means fervently. What does that mean? Well, it's a key word in understanding how Elijah lived his life. 
how we should conduct ourselves and how we should get the most that God has for us in whatever situation he has put us in. The word <clears throat> fervent, and I'm not a, a Greek scholar, but I do study enough to know some things that I ought to know, has a unique meaning. It means stretched out. Now, the best way for me to think about it is like taking a rubber band <clears throat> and stretching that rubber band. You know how you can stretch the rubber band and, oh, yeah, this is stretchy. And then you live a little dangerously and you stretch it a little bit more. And, and you, you might have seen your children do this. And you say, that band, that's going to pop. And that point, just before it pops, the last that you could possibly get out of it, the very last second before it broke and snapped in your face, that's the most fervent point. That's what fervent means. It means getting the absolute most out of it. It's like taking the potato chip bag after all the chips are gone, opening it up, thumping it on the bottom, tilting it up, and getting every crumb in your mouth. <clears throat> That's what it means to be fervent. Uh, it, it's making things good to the last drop. When Elijah prayed, <clears throat> the Bible says that he prayed fervently. He got all that he possibly could out of his prayer. This is who Elijah was. Now, he was an ordinary person like you and me, but he had an extraordinary gift in his life in that he knew <clears throat> how to drain whatever God had for him, especially in prayer. And I believe this. I believe that this is the kind of man that Elijah was in general. He had the ability to get all that God intended for him to get, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> in the design of his life. And so to that end this morning, I want to look at five areas in his life. We'll do so quickly. Look at five areas where Elijah got the most that he could get and encourage you to get the most that God has for you because you're going to be in one of these five areas, maybe more than one of these five areas. First of all, the one that was obvious, and that is Elijah got all that he could from prayer. That's what the verse says. He prayed fervently. He understood prayer. He believed in prayer. He embraced prayer, getting all that he could get from prayer. And you know, that's really a, a rather simple process. All we have to do to get all that we should from prayer is pray. Most of us get too little from prayer because most of us pray too little. In fact, I don't know anyone <clears throat> who thinks that they pray enough. Even those people that pray a lot still feel like they ought to be praying more. And Elijah was a man who got the most that he could get. Now here's a short course in prayer. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Now that tells you two things. First of all, it says there's a human side of praying. What's the human side of praying? Call to me, ask me, make the request. Don't hesitate. You can talk. You can call on me, call to me. Now there's two things to understand here. Very simple the simplicity and the scope of our prayer. Any child of God can call on God and get an answer. Very simple. There are no age or education restrictions, just opportunity, just an open door. Call on me. All you need do is to call on God like you're one of his children and that's all you must do. 
Ask him what you will. Tell him what you want. And you know what? He has promised to answer you. He has promised to answer me. You say, well, I pray, but I don't get an answer. Not even possible. Call unto me and I will answer you. The problem is not in the answering. The problem sometimes is in our perception of the answer. How many of you are parents in here? Would you raise your hand? How many of you uh, have had your children to ask you something and you gave them either yes, no, wait a while, in a minute, or you gave them a different answer, but you gave them an answer? Sure, everybody has. Now, God is our heavenly father. And God is going to give us yes answers sometimes. Sometimes he's going to give you no answers. Sometimes he's going to give you a different answer. And sometimes he's going to tell you, you need to wait a while. That's the human side of praying. That's all we have to do. Now here is the divine side or the God side of praying, and that is answering. He says, call to me and I will answer you. Now that's a personal promise about prayer. God is going to give an answer. In fact, he tells us what kind of answer he's going to give. First of all, it's going to be a personal answer. He's not going to have one of his people handle it. Uh, listen, I'll get somebody to get to you. Uh, no, he's going to. There may be somebody that answers the prayer, but it's God answering the prayer. So he promises you a personal answer. Secondly, a clear answer. <clears throat> I will answer you and will tell you. In the King James Version, it says, and will show you great and mighty things. It's a clear answer. It's a personal answer. It is a powerful answer. I've just said it. I will show you great and hidden things. In other words, God says, look, I will do things for you you cannot do for yourself. I specialize in that kind of stuff. In fact, I, I have preached a message here called Bold Prayer. And I encourage you to pray bold prayers because God specializes in the stuff that we can't do for ourselves. See, prayer is a very simple process. There's the praying side and there's the answering side. One side is ours, the other side is God. God says, I'll give you a personal, I'll give you a clear, I'll give you a powerful. And then I like this, <clears throat> I'll give you an unprecedented answer. Let me go to the whole verse again. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Stuff that you never knew before. Things that never came <clears throat> your way. That, that means this. God surprises us time and time and time again. Now you know some prayer warriors, don't you? Some of you probably are prayer warriors. Here's a beautiful thing about the way God answers prayer. Answered prayer never becomes routine because God finds a new way to approach the answer each time so that we continue in awe of his love, wisdom, and power. <clears throat> you ever had a, heard a prayer warrior come and say, you're not going to believe this. And they'll tell you, today I was at the mall and I needed a parking space. And I said, Lord, you know that it's, it's a long way to walk up there. And I need for you to uh, uh, give me a parking space. And God gave me a parking space. And I'm so excited. And that prayer warriors, I mean, they prayed in tens of thousands of dollars. And they prayed for people to be well. And they were. And they prayed for all kinds of things. Yet they're excited about a parking place. You know why? Because God says, I'm going to give you great and hidden things that you've not known. I'm going to keep surprising you. 
Now that's all important. It's important for us to realize the kind of man that Elijah was, an ordinary man, an ordinary person like any of you <clears throat> and like me, but he had a, a unique uh, quality in his life, and that is the ability to get all that he could get to drain whatever God had for him to the very last drop and make it good to the last drop, as Elijah did in the matter of prayer. Here's a second area of Elijah's life. Elijah got all that he could from God's leading. Now we pick up an Old Testament uh, passage from 1 Kings 17 and uh, verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook. Now I have a problem. It's spelled C-H-E-R-I-T-H. And it looks like Cherith, like Cherish. And, and, but I've always called it Kirith. And the reason was because I tried to put something foreign on it. And it may just be Cherith, okay? Would you just call it whatever you wish? How many of you vote Cherith? Will you raise your hand? How many of you vote Kirith? Would you raise your hand? How many of you could care less? Okay, good. We'll call it Mansker Creek. Uh, <clears throat> Depart by the, uh, and, uh, by the brook uh, Cherith, uh, which is on the east side of Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I, that I, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kirith, that is, <coughs> or Cherith, by the east of Jordan. Now this came after he delivered a message, uh, God's message to Ahab about the drought to come. The, the, he wasted no time in obeying God. God said, get up and go, and he got up and he went. Now here's a key to getting all that God has for you. Do what God leads you to do without hesitation. Get all that you can get because you've responded immediately. In 1973, God called me to preach. It was a shock to me. In a million years, I would never have dreamed that God would call me to preach, but he did. I'm no Elijah. I, I will tell you that I, I tried to get the most that I could out of God's call. God called me to preach on a Sunday evening. We were living, we're originally from Nashville, uh, Goodlettsville, but uh, <clears throat> God, we were living in, in Florida and we were in a, uh, my wife and I at the Marbella Club Apartments is where we lived in Castleberry, Florida. And God gave to me a distinct, clear, no doubt about it, call to my life to preach. I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that that <clears throat> is what I was supposed to do. I told my wife, I called my mother, I went to see my, pre my preacher. And that same evening after talking to my pastor, that was on a, a Monday night that I went and talked to him, he called me up to tell me that he had a place for me to preach, the Dakota Baptist Church in St. Cloud, Florida. I went to the Dakota Baptist Church the Sunday after God called me to preach. I went to the Dakota Baptist Church in St. Cloud, Florida, and I preached my first sermon there. If I remember correctly, the congregation was about 25 people. And the average age was about 95 years of age. <laughs> but it didn't matter. God had called me to preach and I was gone going to do exactly what God wanted me to do without hesitation. I want to get it good to the last drop. Now listen carefully. God has leadings and callings in our life and whatever he calls you to do or me to do or leads you to do or me to do, we should do so without hesitation. Elijah who could get the most out of prayer, got the most out of God's hand on his life, and so could we. For Elijah, prayer was good to the last drop. 
for Elijah, God's leadership on his life was good <clears throat> to the last drop. Here's the third thing. Elijah got all that he could get from God's waiting room. Did you know God had a waiting room? Hmm? How many of you have been in God's waiting room? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Sometimes God is leading us to wait. Sometimes that's what the leadership of God is all about. When Elijah went to dwell by the brook, <clears throat> that was all that God wanted him to do. Go there, eat, sleep, rest, wait. There may be some opportunities come along, but all I want you to do is eat, sleep, rest, and wait. And he said in verse 6 of 1 Kings 17, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. This is where many people drop out. They just can't stand the waiting. They just can't deal with it. They, 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 God has <clears throat> led them to do something and they, they must do it immediately and they must be at the top of it right then because they can't wait for God to bless a lot. So they quit. There are a lot of guys that, <clears throat> that started out, and a lot of people started out in the ministry because they really believed that's where God wanted them to be. And then they, <clears throat> they got to an area of ministry, and, and they, they went to those Sunday morning services where there were 20 people, and the average age was 95, and they said, is this what this is? There is a lot <clears throat> of waiting. Let me tell you what waiting's for in your life. A few things, a few really good things of waiting. If you're a parent, you ought to write this down, Write the verses and go home and preach this to your child every day. Number one, waiting is for learning. The psalmist said in Psalm 25, 21, may integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. God had something for Elijah to learn as he was waiting by the brook. God had a reason that he put him there and something for him to learn. Many people who could have accomplished great things in life uh, uh, for, uh, and for God do not do so because they cannot endure the waiting. He said, well, it's just not in my nature to wait. I understand. It's not in your nature to be a child of God, but, but God saved you despite of you, not because it was your nature to, to be a, uh, his child. And God always has some of us at some time in a waiting period. There's never a time that he doesn't have somebody in a waiting room. And in the waiting room, we're learning. Here's another thing. In the waiting room, we're developing. Do you remember this from the master who called his servants together to tell them that he would be away for a while? This is Luke 19, 13. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. We are to do what we're supposed to be doing while we wait uh, to do what we believe we're called to do or led to do. If, if <clears throat> I, I know people that, that say, well, I, I want to be an evangelist or I want to do this or I want to do that, but they're not, they're not practicing. They're not developing the skill that God has already given them. And, and so they think that they're going to jump from zero to 100 miles an hour when all the time that they were in the time of waiting, God could had them to grow and to learn and to get a little better at this and be ready for it. God sometimes has us in a waiting room so we'll learn something, so we'll develop something. And, and God puts us in waiting rooms <coughs> excuse me, so that we'll dream. 
I love the words of Elijah as he prayed on the top of Mount Carmel. And Elijah said, this is uh, 1 Kings 18, 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing of rain. Waiting <clears throat> is a time of dreaming about what it will be when the wait is over. I, I actually like the King James Version better when Elijah said to Ahab, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. I can hear it. I can smell the rain coming in. I can see it. I can feel the breeze on my face. That's what waiting is for. Waiting is for dreaming. In 1976, you've already heard that uh, Jan and I started a church in Nashville uh, in the Madison Goodlettsville area. And God allowed us to stay in that church for 15 and a half years. When we started, we had nothing and nobody. <clears throat> nothing and nobody. We weren't a branch of another church. We just went out there and just began. And God began to give us people, interesting people. I remember one person that he gave us, a guy named Tommy Hart. I never will forget when Tommy Hart came. It was the second Sunday, maybe the third Sunday, he walked in with his little boy, Toby, his lovely wife, Terry, and they were a part of our congregation for, from that time until I left. Uh, it was just a tremendous, tremendous family. Tommy was one of those characters who was bigger than life. Uh, Tommy uh, was a, a, he hunted, he fished, he played all sports. Uh, he had no body fat. Uh, he ran a jackhammer for Nashville Electric Service. Um, and he called the pastor Randy Baby. He did. He did. He, you know, he got, you know how we're into that informal thing now, calling the preacher by the first name? Well, I mean, he was into that before anybody was into that and, and called me Randy Baby. After visiting a meeting for a few, in a few temporary locations, I found this large Victorian home that uh, was built in 1864. And it had been empty for quite a while. And it didn't take long for me to believe that this was where God wanted us to start building the church. And so I, I called Tommy and I asked him, I said, Tommy, could you, could you come and walk through this building with me? Just look at it. And he said, sure, I'll do that. So we walked through the bottom floor. He didn't say a thing. Walked all through the bottom floor and said nothing. And then we got to the landing going to the second floor and he stopped and he looked at me and he said, can you hear that? And I said, no. He said, listen, you can't hear that? I said, what is it? He said, oh, I, can, I hear babies in the nursery. I can hear Sunday school teachers in these bedrooms up here teaching classes. I hear singing downstairs and you preaching on Sunday morning. He was dreaming of what God was going to do as we were waiting to see what God was going to do. Never underestimate the power of a dream. God has something for you. God has something for you in the praying time. And God has something to, for you as he is leading you. And God has something for you as you are waiting. God doesn't say, I don't have time for you. Get over here and wait. I'm going to go deal with other people. He says, I've got you in a waiting room. Get what I've got for you in this waiting room. There's two more things. Elijah got all that he could get from God's blessings. 
God moved Elijah from the brook to a place called Zarephath. And he had plans for continued blessings on Elijah. But once again, Elijah was, had to move. And I don't think I'm going to take the time to read the whole passage. But, but 1 Kings 17, 8 and following uh, talks about how that he attached himself to a, a widow who was there. And he said to her, uh, get me a drink of water. And uh, she went to get the water. And he said, oh, and by the way, uh, bring me some bread uh, too. And she looked at him and she said, I, I don't have any bread. She said, I got a little little flour and I got a little oil and I'm going to make that into something that me and my son can eat and that's the end of it. We're going to die after this. He said, oh, I, I really hate that. How about bringing me some bread and, uh, and don't worry about the bread running out because God is going to keep it coming. You just do what God says do. Elijah is what we would call living large. He was in direct contact with God. He could see God's hand and had the confidence of, of the, uh, God's leadership in every step of life. It's amazing how much more God has for us than we are willing to receive. I've heard the illustration you have too that someday we we'll, may go to heaven the door will be open to a room with all these wonderful blessings. And you say, well, who does this belong to? Well, these are what could have been yours. Now, I, I doubt that that's going to happen, but it's a wonderful thought. It's a wonderful thought because the, the truth is that, that God does have a lot more than we receive. We're talking about Elijah today. We're talking about Elijah who lived his life fervently. He lived it stretched out. I want to get all that I can possibly get just right to the end. I want to drain everything good to the last drop, whether it be prayer, whether it be your leadership in my life, whether it be the waiting room, or whether it be the blessings. Oh, the testings. There are testings too. And Elijah got the most that he could get from the time of testing. Let's, let's back up. We skipped a verse. Well, I didn't read these verses, but Elijah was by the brook and the brook dried up. And when he went to Zarephath, the woman uh, that he was led to was in a, a starving situation. And verse 7 says, or of 1 Kings 17 says, the brook dried up because there was no rain. And a lot of times we feel like, well, this is the end. It's not, there's not going to be anything else. And God wants to do something for us in the time of testing. Just as surely as God will answer your prayer, you're going to go through a time of testing. I was discussing with my, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law my, and my wife last night. <clears throat> they were talking about a, a little child whose father is, a, um, I think, a, a pediatric surgeon at Vanderbilt. And they have this beautiful little boy who has this very rare and and mostly fatal disease <clears throat> and about the testing that that family was going through. That could be what God has for you right now. I know some of you, I know you've had testing. All of us have had testing. What are we supposed to do in the testing? I go back to when God called me to preach. We he blessed and, and us and he tested us. He tested us in ways that we've never been tested since. Boy, did we ever have a struggle in those early days. I, I uh, was in seminary. I got <clears throat> a job paying minimum wage selling women's shoes in a department store. 
one morning as, as I left for work, we were down to our last dollar. My wife dropped me off and she was looking for a job. And <clears throat> that evening she picked me up and <clears throat> the car was almost empty. And I said, Jan, I need that dollar. Uh, we're going to have to have some gas. And back then you could buy, you know, gas for 40 cents a gallon. I, I said, I, I need the dollar. And she began to cry. <clears throat> and I said, what's wrong? She said, well, I, I used all but 20 cents for parking today downtown looking for a job. All I've got is 20 cents. I said, 20 cents? Yeah. So we did what everybody, every Christian should do. We looked for Coke bottles to cash in. <laughs> and we, we found enough Coke bottles, if I remember correctly, to get 80 cents worth of gas. Driving up to that little house uh, that we were staying in, we stayed in a basement apartment. We were all but lost in self-pity. And as I walked from the car to the door, out of the corner of my eye, I saw my wife's little brother walking down the drive. He's now Steve, Judge Steve Dozier here in Nashville. He was Jan's little brother walking around the corner uh, with, a, with a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And... and I looked up and I said, Steve, what are you doing here? And then I saw the Kentucky Fried Chicken. I said, never mind, come on in. <clears throat> well, the long story short, my mother-in-law and Steve had driven down hoping to find us. They looked all day for our street, which wasn't on the map, but they finally did find us. And my mother-in-law said, there was a letter that came for Jan. We thought she might need it. It was the last paycheck from her job in Florida, $190. I often wonder why God lets his children get in that condition, even worse. God wants us to get the most out of him. God wants us to trust his provision. God wants us to trust his plans. God wants us to trust the master designer. God wants us to trust the architect. God wants us to trust the provider. I'll close with this. On a summer day in 1890, Louisa M. <clears throat> prepared a, a picnic for her family and uh, she and her husband and her daughter Lily were going to go down to the shore and have a day at the beach and a picnic and at the beach Louisa was uh, spreading the picnic, picnic lunch while Lily was playing with daddy in the sand and out in the water they heard a cry for help and it was a teenage boy who had, had been caught in the undertow and so Mr. Stead took Lily and thrust her toward her mother and he went out to help the young man and in the course of rescuing the young man, the young man panicked and they both drowned right in front of Mrs. Stead and her daughter Lily. This was long before the days of public assistance and Louisa and Lily watched their lives turn to poverty and to loneliness and one evening they ate the last of all the food that was in the house and Louisa said to Lily, sweetheart, if we eat tomorrow, Jesus has to bring us food in the night. Looking down at Lily's little bare feet, and she said, and if you are to have shoes, Jesus has to give you shoes. They prayed and went to bed. The next morning, <clears throat> as Mrs. Stead opened the front door to let in the light of day, there was a box on the front door. And in the box was enough groceries to fill the cupboards and was a little brown envelope with enough money to buy Louisa 
a pair of shoes. And Mrs. Stead called Lillian and said, look, sweetheart, look what Jesus sent in the night. And they had a breakfast fit for a queen and a princess. And she said, darling, you go on and play. After a while, we're going to go get you some shoes. And Mrs. Stead sat down and wrote these words. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prune him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Then she wrote these words. I'm so glad I've learned to trust him. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that thou art with me, will be with me to the end. God has something for you. God has a purpose for your life. He has something he wants to do for you and through you. You must give it all you have and hold nothing back. You are at some place in Elijah's life. The time of praying, the time of, of blessing, the time of leading, the time of testing, the time of waiting. Are you getting what God intended for you to have? Will you bow your heads for prayer, please? With no one looking about this morning, I just want to just give you a very simple, simple invitation. And look, um, all of my life I've just had an, kind of an open altar invitation. If you want to come, there will be uh, staff members here at the front if you want to pray with them or if you want to come and kneel at this altar. You want to say, God, you've got me in a waiting pattern. I've got to get what you want for me in the waiting pattern. Lord, I know that I'm in a time of testing, and I want to get what you have for me during this time of testing. Whatever it may be, you are somewhere in Elijah's life. Are you getting all that you can get from what God has for you? Let's stand for prayer. Heavenly Father, as we give this time of invitation, I pray that every one of us, every single one of us will reflect on where we are and what you have for us in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we will be fervent in the praying and fervent in the following of your leadership and fervent in the time of waiting and fervent in the time of blessing and fervent in the time of testing, Lord. May we get all that you have for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray.